Welcome to the Signal Line Remote Viewing Podcast, a podcast owned and run by Daz Smith from RemoteViewed.com, the resource for everything remote viewing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing remote viewing related interviews, views, news, resources, and much more. Hi, I'm Daz Smith and welcome to the Signal Line. Today's podcast was a public remote viewing discussion on 20th of August 2021. We discussed many interesting and impacting topics within RV including air modelling target sites, remote influencing, using RV for science, technology projects or using RV for health or medical projects, tools and technology within remote viewing and future uses of RV. We also discussed displacement and negative people trying to use remote viewers for nefarious projects and how to counter this. We also discussed much more and had lots of hints and tips. I hope you enjoyed the show. Take care. What we did get, we did get some good questions that people, or chat ideas that people posted on Facebook. So we could go through some of those. And... uh, I think Henny's got a good example she could show us of some uh, air modeling she did. Uh, she posted on Facebook later, so that'd be good to go through that as well because that looked pre- pretty spectacular. Can I be not the first one? <laughs> you can, yeah. You, we, we, if you want to go first, get it over and done with. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. We, we, we'll fill it in later then we've got plenty of time let me just post a quick message in there for the people that are in a welcome message I think everyone here are people that are regulars anyway by the looks of it so that everyone knows how this works uh, we'll go for it anyway for the, everyone's here we won't worry about the people that are late so you know this is just like an open chat evening uh, and you can feel free to share or, or ask a question of myself or anyone else here. Um, and yeah, you can do that by using the reactions button at the bottom and putting your hand up. Um, most of the time we keep the mics off in, unless you want to, you know, make a comment. Or if you're a bit shy and you don't want to do it that way, you're quite uh, welcome to type it up and put it in the chat window and someone, myself or someone else will pick it up and we'll, we'll try to get it that way. So it's just an open chat tonight. We do have some suggestions that were posted on Facebook. Uh, some of them were quite good, so we could go through some of those. And uh, let me see if I can get them up here a second. I'll keep letting people in as we, as we go for the night, so don't worry about that. Um, okay. So I think Henny had a question earlier uh, in, on Facebook. I'd be interested in anyone's experience with or documents related to RV being used in a very focused ways, for example, in tandem with technological or medical research. Okay, that's a good one. Um, I know there are several people doing the medical stuff. I know, I think uh, Laurie teaches it, Pam teaches it, Deborah Lynn Katz teaches medical approaches, I believe, and Lynn teaches it. Um, I haven't seen any, I haven't seen any of their work, if I'm honest with you. Um, I did do some medical stuff myself, and it's on my website under my uh, RV examples. I did it's uh, four examples with a doctor here in the UK called Andrew, Andrew Usher, 
Um, we just did some trials, really. Uh, and all the trials worked out extremely well. Um, it was quite interesting to see how RV could be used to uh, uh, put a medical diagnosis on, on a blind target. So I was just given a piece of information. I think I'm, I, I was given the information just a random number. I may have been given male or female. I'm not sure. I'd have to have a look at the RV on that because it was, it was like about eight to ten years ago. Um, and then I just, yeah, I just went about uh, RVing the people, but I didn't use normal CRV. What I did is, and you can see this in the uh, RV sessions on my website, is I created these little template drawings of, of essentially the human form, and I used that as a mechanism to probe. So I was just putting my pen on it like you would probe the ideogram, and I was just writing down impressions I was getting for different things like the energy system of the body, the nervous system, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it worked, re it worked really well. We did get some really interesting uh, results. The only problem is, because I'm not medically trained, I find it hard to describe what I was seeing as a remote viewer in medical terms. I think it would probably work amazingly well if the people were using that kind of uh, method were, were medically trained, you know, were doctors, nurses, and that, and that kind of thing. I think that would immensely help them when they were trying to describe things like, because um, at the time, the main one we did was, I think it was a brain cancer when I was looking at. And I just couldn't quite get what I was looking at with this gelatinous mass that I was trying to describe. It was very hard for me as a, as a non-medical person to do that. It's not impossible, but it was harder. So that's the only thing I've done medically. Um, as I said, I don't see a lot out there. I don't, I'm not sure if Laurie or anyone else is, uh, it's put up anything. I haven't seen anything online. Did you get into the healing aspect of it, Daz? In other words, not just perceiving the situation, but actually trying to improve it? No, I've never, uh, I've never wanted to go in any other direction of influencing any any person in in any way. I, for me, I think that's a bit of a step too far. Yeah, so I, I I've personally stayed away from that area of it at this stage. I'm not saying I wouldn't in the future. Um, I'd probably do it if it was with a group of people that had signed up and, you know, knowing that they'd be cooperating in some way with a team of remote viewers and they would, they would sign up and they'd give their permission for people to do it. I think I would work under those, those circumstances, but yeah, I, I, it's not, to be honest, the medical stuff's not anything I've personally uh, developed. I think I, it, it would, I, I, you know, I would like to, I think it's got great scope. The, the, uh, the five or six that we did as test experiments were extremely well. Um, I think Lynn mentioned that it took a long time for him to influence in a positive way the uh, subject he was working on. So it's not something that you can just go in and, you know, it's done. It's yeah. uh, long term. Apparently. I think for all these and, you know, for all the guys that are doing things like uh, like Brett's doing loads of ARV research, I think is something that you and I've seen this with the, with Ingo with his with his files um when when he because Ingo did like he did a, a project on what he called analytics for example and that was trying to get numbers words and 2d pictures on a sheet of paper and he spent four years doing that from uh 94 to 98 doing that and he, he pretty much did that exclusively he did it thousands and thousands of times until he kind of eventually picked up a method in, and refined the method of doing it 
I think it's probably the same for all these uh, specific needs, you know, ARV, medical uses, uh, and all, all kinds of, you know, technological uses as well. I think you'd probably have to do quite a few sessions over a period of time to, to refine your processes. You I'm know, sorry, I, I missed the front end of that. Did you say he was trying to get numbers? He was trying to get numbers, letters, symbols, and 2D pictures. So, so you know, a, a, a flat picture. Yeah. As opposed to the target being yes. the place. Word, that was the target, was numbers, letters, words, symbols, and, and, and yeah, pictures. Did he ever publish anything about that? Uh, not that I'm aware of. All I know is, you know, we've got the, uh, the four years worth of work uh, that he did, did on that in, in his files. And I think it's, I think they are actually online for downloadable from the, uh, university of West Georgia. Um, and to be honest there, they are amazing because, uh, what you see in the reports are, you see monthly reports back to, to Ed May because Ed May was the uh, person in charge at the time. You know, Des, if, uh, I think most of the people here do not have a clue how to download this stuff from the uh, the okay. university, right? Is this something? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the files, you have to bear in mind that I've seen quite a lot of the files. I haven't seen all of them, um, but not all the files that are, are Ingo's are in the archives as downloadable files. Only a, only a percentage is something like about 30 or 40% of the total files. But the analytics files that I've seen, well, I've got I've been through them twice. But Ingo's writing and the way he's thinking is so above my head that it just goes. I, I, I can I can read how amazing it is, um, but I can't quite grasp what he's what he's conceptualizing. So I have to do it several times. I read them twice now, and each time I've gone, oh my god, this is amazing! But I can't verbalize why it's amazing. But he does come, he does, he does seem that over that four year period makes some very important breakthroughs. I, I've discussed it with Deborah Linkatz and John Knowles uh, because they, they've looked at the files as well. And, you know, uh, John Knowles is especially interested in ARV and, and numbers and stuff. Um, and we all agree that there, you know, Ingo's, Ingo's talking about the breakthroughs he's made to Ed May are pretty, pretty amazing in, what, in, in the breakthroughs that he, that he talks about and discusses. It's just mind-boggling in 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 the way that he writes up because you know we've all read Ingo stuff. It's very it's very hard to read under a lot of circumstances. Yeah, really. Yeah, but yeah, the breakthroughs. Uh, he he talks about uh, what he calls a sump, and he talks about all these uh, routines. He recognizes these routines, and they were working. He was working with a, an, another person, almost like an outer bounder, who was trying to telepathically send him the 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 number or the letter. And they worked out that if she was doing it in a noisy environment, so, that, you know, I guess the number was on a sheet of paper and, she, you know, on, on by her feet and he was looking at it because that's what the description sounds like in the, in the letters. They worked out that if, if she was doing it in a, in a noise, what he calls a noisy room, and that would be a room where there were other objects and things within a one meter vicinity of the target sheet of paper with the, with the word or letter on it, then the results on getting that letter were, would dramatically drop. One day they decided he decided because he was picking up other things in, in, in literally in the local vicinity of a meter square area, that if he cleared all the crap away from it and there was nothing there, 
then his results jumped up something like 60 70 percent instantly just by just by doing that one thing alone which you know i guess i guess we could um apply that to, to the to the greater things within remote viewing as well clear out everything from the the area of the target you're looking at and then you only see the not you know you see the data and the signal from the target itself not the noise around it but so it was just stuff like that in this analytics i'll see if i can compile it in, or if it's online in, in full and if it is i'll, I'll post the, the links and stuff but it's it's over some like 50 60 different documents and communications over an, an eight-year period that, that you worked on yeah, his research is really interesting. I hate to let that slide by without having a look at it, especially this particular topic, which is a hot button. Yeah. So, um, it's, yeah, I, I think I, it's one of the most important things I've I've seen in his in his archives because of some of the breakthroughs he makes and describes as he's going for it. Because it's not just the breakthroughs in in getting of numbers and letters; it's the breakthroughs in the how rv works and the and the noise and the signals stuff. So that i think it's very important i did start writing it up for an article um but it's one of the articles that's half done and it's on this i've got it on on the sideline because i'm you know doing trying to do too much really but i'll see what i can find in, and get access to you guys on, on that well we all appreciate it thank you and the only other example i got henny for that question is I did a project with, let me see if I can find it here, uh, 39 other remote viewers, and it was organized by Deborah Lynn Katz several years ago to, uh, and it was a medical science project. Uh, the, uh, the person doing the analysis and the, checking the feedback on it were a couple of actual scientists, and they tried to get us, all 39 remote viewers, to, to RV a, what they call a bacteriophage, which is a tiny little... I, actually, I can show you that. I might as well show you the session. Actually, I can show you the stuff, the report. It was written up in uh, Eight Martinis magazine. It's all, it's in issue five, I believe. Let me share my screen here so I can open this. Um, what issue was it? Uh, yeah, Eight Martinis issue fifteen. So let me see if I can get this a bit bigger on the screen here so yeah we uh, these were the objects we were trying to look at with rv uh these microscopic organisms they did a proper study on it here so it's all written up Let's see if we can go to some of the data here and stuff not all of it's in here but you can get an idea of it uh, so the idea yeah there were certain objectives to determine whether a viewer's perceptions can match a current model of known information of the phage to understand whether and how scientists and remote viewers can work together to, to achieve a co common objective, to demonstrate whether remote viewers can obtain useful information to advance the scientific fields of virology and specifically the uh, viruses that attack bacteria known as phages, to understand remote viewer characteristics, behaviors, methodologies, and levels of training are correlated with the highest rated and most useful sessions. Uh, additional objectives to understand how remote viewers perceive microscopic target as opposed to other types of commonly viewed targets to understand the optimal way to task viewers whilst keeping them blind when it comes to remote viewing microscopic entities and to determine which method of analysis is being most most useful to uh, experts so the report goes into that let me come back out a little bit on this 
Uh, oh yeah, I can't go into all of this. Um, but there were 16 scientists approached, five worked on the project with us, um, eight refused. <laughs> so they analyzed the results and uh, here's some of the data here. Let me see if I can enlarge this again. Leave this window out of the way. So you can see some of the data there from the remote viewers. Uh, 67% on those words there, and then 62 on those words, 56, and it goes down and down and down. There's another chart here. So that's the ratings for the repeated uh, words that came up in the sessions. Let me see if I can show you some sketch stuff. It was a really interesting project. Uh, and this was the statements as well from the virologists here, which were good. They were quite pleased with the project. At first appearances, the data appears to show nothing more than some musings. On further inspection, however, I'm convinced that they describe bacteriophage and the uses of bacteriophage. This is my professional opinion as a scientist and a professional and impartial observer. Uh, and, and then another one, this is blowing my mind. How is this possible? It's scary. And this is some of the data. And actually, this, this is some of my data here. So this is some sketches of what I drew in, in session. And that's the, uh, I guess, the feedback image there, the bacteriophage itself in red there. And that's just some stats there. It's quite interesting because they, uh, I think it proved in this one that uh, CRV was the most used and CRV was the most accurate in, on, on this project. Uh, other ones were CRV variants, DreamWork, just letting it come naturally, clairvoyance, and so on. So there's some stats there as well. And they got the stats of all the viewers that scored uh, fours, which were the highest marks. And you can see the stats here. Look. So all the viewers were trained in CRV who got the fours, the high scores. Three had over 15 years experience, two had six, one had one year. Uh, and one was a professional medium. Three had over a thousand hours of session experience, two had over 300 hours. Uh, the only one with less than 40 hours experience was the medium. All spend 10 to 30 hours in sci activities a week. There's got the name there of the people that scored the fours. Uh, and all the viewers uh, took more than an hour to complete their sessions. So she managed to get quite a lot of data out of that one experiment. And as, as it says, the, the scientists were really impressing it. I don't see much more work out there in public. There may be more um, that I'm not aware of. Uh, but yeah. What about Gail's, I'm, I'm what about Gail's work on uh, uh, autism? Have you seen that? I have seen that, yes. Yes, Gail's got a good report as well. I don't know if that's on her website, though. Um, but yeah, and yeah, I, if you're interested, it's yeah, a 2018 on... Irva, and that's uh, I saw her presentation there. I don't know if there's anything public though. I'll I'll check with Gail on that. I know she's uh, visiting Nin today, and she's, they might pop along later. They said we'll see on that one. Um, but yeah, I'll see if I can get some links on on Gail's one as well, put on online because that would be a good report for you to have a look at as well. But yeah, as I said, I don't see an awful lot of stuff put online to date, but I'm I'm sure there's more out there somewhere. 
So that's that question. Uh, Sasha's got her hand up. Would you, would you like to ask your question, Sasha? Well, actually, it was just a, a comment on this topic. I think it was the 2018 or the 2017 um, joint IRVA SSC conference where someone presented a paper on um, remote viewers who were doing, I guess, what do you call it when they're doing healing, intended healing. And they had recorders in the room with the patients. And then when they played the recordings from those rooms on samples of, I don't know what it was, bacteria or whatever, um, they, it showed positive effects. So the, the harmful bacteria in the Petri dishes were killed when they were exposed to the recordings of the room of the patients that were remotely healed. Um, I can't remember the details of it, and uh, I've let my SSE membership lapse because of COVID, and I'm not going to any of the conferences, <laughs> uh, but maybe Brett, might, and I think maybe he was at that conference, so maybe he remembers more of the details, but that was one that I thought was very interesting in terms of healing, that you, because they said there, there was nothing that they could identify on the recordings when they passed it through an audio analysis software program. Um, and yet it still had these effects when they played it to samples. Fortunately, I don't, I don't recall that presentation. Uh, it might've been the year I wasn't there. Okay. They do put a lot of stuff online for free. So I'll have a look later, see if we can find anything on it. Yeah, I think that'd be good. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Sasha. Okay. So um, Alex Martin asked, and I haven't done this, but one of you guys might he said, uh, has anyone RV'd uh, any pole reversals that are happening or maybe in the next two or three years? Uh, I haven't, never been tasked to me. Have any of you guys done anything like that? Not me. No, I guess that's a no on that one then. So yeah, we won't be able to help Alex with that one. Um, Charlie asked, uh, how about a general discussion on blending with subjects during a session so i guess they mean uh life forms here okay that's an interesting one um i think everyone does it within rv um i don't know if i call it blending i don't know what i call it actually i don't call it anything um if i find any life during a, a during a, an rv target though ethical or not because ethical can come into this as well i guess because there's an ethical question here as well um i tend to just Interrogate is probably the best word. Interrogate the data of that life form uh, to get whatever information I need. Um, I don't think I blend with them in any way. Though I literally just, I don't know, I just ask them questions, and the questions just kind of come. You know, I write the questions down on, on on the paper in brackets. You know, what is this person thinking, or what is this person going to do in the next couple of years with their intentions, something like that. And then the data just flows. I'm not sure there's any. For me personally, anyway, with my, my belief system, there's any blending that takes place. I don't know about you guys. Uh, Brett, how does it work in T? Because you trained in TRV. How, is it any different in that? Do you, or do you just get data? No, it's exactly the exact same that you describe. It's pretty rote as far as the process is concerned. It's just, uh, it's no different than going through and just perceiving textures. You're just perceiving uh, like emotions activities that they're doing. This is like stage four data. And then absolutely exact same thing you can do. It's like, is if you're 
aware enough to, oh, this is a life form. And you, you realize that you want to kind of steer that data a little bit more in stage four. I just would bracket a question or bracket like, you know, uh, perceive, you know, maybe the activity of the life form, something like that. And then I feel it's more of a, it's still a descriptive process as opposed to like this idea of blending. It sounds very like maybe what like a natural psychic might do. Um, not necessarily, not to say that we're not, I don't know the mechanics, obviously, because I can't really look under the hood of how all this works, but uh, I never really feel like I am any of the life forms that I ever perceive. It's more of like, there's an encyclopedia. It's kind of boring, actually. Uh, there's only, the only non-boring one was when it was some esoteric stuff where, I mean, you know, there's no feedback for, but it was most life forms when I'm doing a remote viewing session, it's pretty rote. It's just, Oh, there's a person they're working on a document. They're writing, they're really invested in it and they're hoping to make money off of it. I mean, it's like something like that, you know, maybe they're writing uh, a contract for a business, you know, it's just data. There's no real becoming one with (laughs) the life form, at least not in the technique that I use. Yeah. Normally TDS has this. It's got blending and merging in TDS. I can never remember which one's which, but one's for life forms and one's for structures. And as far as I understand it, which may not be correct, but I think in the case of structures and life forms, you are supposed to sort of become one with. Um, and in their training videos that are online, someone's there talking about, oh yeah, I became a bridge or a tower or something and thought I had this amazing view. How great. Um, I've never had that experience myself, but. Is that that jogged, that jogged my memory actually on one of the particular techniques in TRV, which is a stage six tool, which I'm not sure if it's in more advanced CRV. I mean, who knows? You know what I mean? Like maybe it is, it's just like a re-patterned version of it because that's what Ed did with a lot of the stuff. Um, is it's very similar what you do in TRV, where I, I mean we you'd never call it blending, but in once you kind of finish your original session and then you re kind of go back into the session. So you've had like at least, you know, something like 45 minutes time on target. Um, you do what was referred to as a stage six motion. And you can use that in a number of different ways. What you're doing is you're, you're looking for kinesthetics that are associated with the task. It doesn't always have to be a person. It could be anything. And so usually you stand up for this and what you're doing is you're prompting yourself. If I was there, you know, wherever at the site, what would I be experiencing in my body? Like, is it really windy? And maybe you feel it on your skin. Do you feel like a dropping sensation? Uh, And so you're looking for kinesthetics and you can do this for life forms. The one I was tasked with during training many, many, many years ago was on uh, kind of a murder mystery. Like how did this person, and there was feedback for this. So I knew what the, uh, I knew what the outcome was afterwards, but it was like, could you basically get what, how this person uh, died. And the moment was, it was a gunshot. And uh, I think he, I think Ed has even talked about this on some of his, maybe some of his conferences, but the actual tasking is that the guy actually shot himself, but in the stage six motion, when you stand up, it's like, okay, perceive the, what is going on. And instead of you think of, okay, if, if the person was shot, you see what's going on, then the immediate reaction would be you put your hands up in front of you, like, oh, stop. Uh, you know, like you see the threat and then it's over, lights out. 
if you don't know what's going on, you just would maybe not move and then it'd be kind of a lights out would be the kind of dropping sensation. But this one was not that, it was a hand, one hand coming up to the head. And then it was like, oh, that's the motion that occurred just prior to the uh, life form deceasing or being de becoming deceased. And so that kind of technique, I guess, is the closest thing that I'm familiar with that is an idea of blending. You're not trying, again, you're not trying to become that person and then perceive I am them. What you're really looking for is just a different avenue of information, which is kinesthetic data. So you're letting your body tell you, it's almost like you're dowsing with your body for motion information at the site. That's all you're doing. Just like you might, you're, you're letting just that immediate spontaneous reaction to the prompt uh, affect what your body is doing. And you can, I've done, the other time I've seen this done is like, I mean, it's just, it's just kinesthetic. It's like any kind of creative way you can think of, of accessing kinesthetic information that might be useful uh, is maybe the closest. So maybe it's that like remote viewing via the medium of interpretive dance. Um, <laughs> it is. I think I've talked to you, David, about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually did it in my session with you a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, I hope you have uh, this recorded. It's on page 31. And, no, uh, no, the video. I want to see the the video of the dancing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm afraid I didn't. I didn't video. It was very quick. Um, it just involved me sitting down in my chair very quickly, and then being like, "How was that?" And then doing it again. And uh, anyway, yeah, I actually I went slightly off off piste from TRV doing that, and I uh, used the TDS thing. And at the top of that stage six motion, I just wrote like merge with four the life form, and just whatever's going on, give it to me. Um, which task yeah. was that uh that was the it was a personal one oh, i got it got don't want to go into it <laughs> yeah no yeah cool thanks for sharing those guys yeah i don't think i've done anything myself using the words merge or meld or i've heard uh other people talk about the term mind meld as well i don't yeah i don't use sounds gross <laughs> according to tds the trick is to remember to cue yourself to unmerge at the end of it and mm, don't wait yeah. till the end of the session just draw a line under it there yeah i mean i guess i guess it comes from your your belief system from how you've been taught and your belief system you bring into it as well you know i have i have a belief system where i don't think we go anywhere i think you know the information's actually within us and all around same yeah so, same yeah. Pam Coronado teaches something in her psychic uh, detective workshop um where um, sometimes you're tasked with where is the body, uh, where, um, whether they're alive or dead. Um, these are just simple questions. But then when you get into um, who committed the murder, okay, um, then you're getting into a situation where you're probably talking about someone who is alive, um, you're trying to get some information about them. And uh, I had a curious thing uh, happen during one of those exercises. I was trying to do something like a remote viewing session where I was just trying to write down perceptions on a sheet of paper. And um, I knew they front loaded that we were trying to, to get information about the murderer. And um, uh, as I was writing these things down, I, I got the curious thing of uh, ask them. 
and like I'm, I, I, I had no idea what that meant until, and I ignored it until after I sort of like looked at the paper, and it was almost like my subconscious was asking me to ask them a question, which I didn't do. But I thought that was very interesting that it would actually even say something like this. And when I mentioned that in the class, Pam said that that happens to her. It's almost like her subconscious will cue up what she ought to be doing at this particular moment. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Thanks for sharing that, Tom. That's great. Uh, does anyone else using any other method have any uh, any uh, comments on this? On I don't know what is it melding, mind melding, accessing life forms at targets. No, no one wants to speak on that one. I just want to ask. Um, uh, yep. I, I have a I have a task like a year ago, and um, I was seeing literally um, something round moving. And I didn't know what's what's about, and I have a, a, a sudden a feeling of I'm seeing something uh, at the microscopic level. So I didn't do I didn't know what to do in that very moment. So it was like I was there in the middle of all these things. So I didn't know what to do. So have you it's like blending maybe? Have you uh, uh, in this regard? Have you? Uh, um, I don't know, an advice, what to do to push back on what, whatever. I don't know. Uh, it's, it was a strange feeling. And uh, I didn't know how to mediate this in my yeah. session. You could maybe try move, you know, do using movement commands, move yourself around a bit to try to orientate yourself to get an understanding of if you are at a microscopic level or not, you know, but like, like by moving out, uh, move yourself out five feet or something or... Do you know what okay. I mean? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, then, okay. and then have a look at that angle. And then if you want to go back to get more information, move yourself back again to the, you know, you know, if it does look like you are at a microscopic level, when you move back, uh, you could uh, or move yourself back to the original position and then, and then yes. go back in and describe more data. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I do, I, 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 I took a break for, for yeah. a, half a day and uh, then everything starts from another point of view. Yeah. And that's all. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Is, is it Stefan Schwartz who who kind of prompts himself or prompts people that you're at the target, you are your normal size? Uh, yeah. I I think that's I think that's something that that Schwartz recommends people when he's leading them through remote viewing is to remind themselves that they are their normal size or that they're not their normal height, um, and then that, to avoid that kind of disorientation or just to make sure that the mm -hmm that the scene actually is perceived and makes sense according to your scale. I don't know how helpful that is, but. It is helpful. It does teach me like this. And, and it was very helpful, but I, uh, back then I didn't know what to do. So, yeah. I just think you might have to be careful that if you purposely orientate yourself on every session that you're your normal size, the target might be, might need you to be bigger or smaller to, to access the information. So you might miss out on it. But yeah, whatever works, I guess. Okay, so that's Charlie's question, and then uh, Goro asked the question, and this is a this is a hard one because it comes to some of the subjects we've had with RV lately. 
So he says, how do we avoid the most inevitable scenario that the RV field uh, will be co-opted and corrupted by nefarious groups or people with a nefarious agenda in the near future? I think this is in reference to um, what the ARV kind of people were doing, uh, you know, that we, I, I and others kind of investigated and wrote about on, on the uh, remote group and Facebook group. Uh, and, you know, I think last week it was the, one of the people involved was arrested by the FBI and yeah, it's undergoing some kind of criminal charges. Uh, how do we stop that? Well, it's a hard one, that. And I have to be honest, uh, the people involved in that did seem to, at some level, infiltrate. I say I use the word of infiltrate because I guess, is that the right word? Um, they managed to get themselves uh, within quite a, a, quite a detailed level of some of the top people within remote viewing. And they did so basically by you know spreading around a lot of money and you know we have to be honest a lot of remote viewers out there do need do need money to live on so i can understand why they got involved um but yeah i think probably as a community to answer his question uh i don't know how to stop it but i think what we should all do as remote viewers and project managers is we need to be a bit more diligent in our research of people that approach us for work uh and I have to put myself on that as well because I did I did actually do some paid work for these guys uh, when they approached me late last year. Uh, they didn't tell me what they wanted research for, but they you know they told me they wanted a, a bit of consultancy work for an hour, which I gave them. Um, and I did so after only a five minute research on the background of the person that contacted me. So I looked at his company and his email address and that, and I thought, well, he looks pretty credible found some pictures of him online and he was with all these famous people and stuff. So I thought, okay, you know, he seems like a very credible person. Um, so I have to, I have to, uh, I have to say I probably myself should have done more research as well. Um, but it's hard when, I guess when, you know, everything's coming at you in day-to-day -day life. So I think we definitely need to be more diligent. Um, and it's a hard one because I do know as well um, that one of the top researchers in remote viewing is still working with these people. Um, I know that he's still tasking 12 people on projects. And I know that at the very start of all the work, the remote viewers that were doing the work didn't even know what type of work they were doing RV-wise, who they were working for and where that information was going in anyway. And I find that scenario very uh very worrying within rv that that kind of thing can happen um i don't know who the who to blame on that really would it would it be if it's the project manager and or the individual viewers because i did ask some of the viewers i said well why are you working for someone where you don't know who they are who the end client is why you're being paid and where the information's going i think we as remote viewers have to take a little bit of uh personal responsibility for it but at the same time you know we should hope that the people project managing for us um, protect us to a certain degree as well, because we have to work fairly blind on projects. So I really don't know how to answer his question, really, how to avoid it. It's probably not avoidable. There probably will be people out there that do want to take advantage. Just I, all I can say is if any of you are taking RV sessions off people on social media and stuff, and you know, as we've posted, I think I've posted many times and Paul Smith posted an article and stuff, 
be very careful who you're taking targets of, you know, try to do your background research on them uh, and just know that they're a credible person that you can trust because otherwise anyone could be setting you a target. They could be telling you it's one thing, you know, help me find my lost keys. And you could essentially be RVing something nefarious for them and they just give you some rubbish feedback data and just going away of your data. So, you know, value yourself as remote viewers because you are valuable assets and people, and there are certain, some people out there that will try to take advantage of that. I think for me, the way you avoid that, and this is what I've done, I've always done this. I've taken a hardline approach that I always know what I'm remote viewing because I'm always the one that's setting up the project. I never take a task from somebody else ever at this point. I don't do the, I don't do that. And so that's hard to do. And so you have to really, I, I would do a task for maybe a handful of other people that I know personally. And I, I would, uh, there's under no circumstances, and I never have done this, would I ever take a task from somebody that I don't know? And that I, there's no way for me to figure out what their intention is with the work. And does that mean that just because that's the standard I use, everyone should use that for themselves? I don't, I'm not saying that either personally. I think this is an individual thing that where it's an individual responsibility thing. And, you know, if you come across information, then you have to make that decision. But for me, I have a very, very bright line where it's like, if I don't know what the task is, or I know the person personally, and I can hold them accountable if they do something, which I mean, they wouldn't because I'd only take tasks from like good friends at this point, if I ever do. Um, I know exactly what the task is because I'm the one actually creating it. No one's creating the task for me. And so maybe it's just taking a little bit, the way you avoid remote viewing work kind of being misused uh, is I think you just have incredible trust in the tasker, which I mean, there's, I, unfortunately there's, I've heard stories where also there people have kind of had a lot of faith in some taskers in the remote viewing community, community who then tasked them with nefarious actually like actually uh, gave remote viewing task paid work to people they didn't know what it was and it was for i mean uh I, without giving in any details it was for political espionage i'll say that much and none of the viewers knew it and they trusted this person so it's like you have to be super i mean what it comes down to i think is that you just have to take the responsibility of as a viewer i think and that if you ever do a task that you from someone you don't know or even someone you do kind of know, you're still the one responsible for doing the viewing. And so if you're not 100% certain, then maybe just don't do it. Do your own work, create a group yourself of people, of like-minded individuals that you know you can trust, close friends, and don't even put yourself out there. Otherwise, you know, they're uh, it's on you. I, th I think it's on the viewer, I think, personally. It's the personal responsibility and what kind of risk level you're happy with so that's just my take i guess that's how I brett, it. brett i've heard this uh, a, a lot of times about researching the uh, tasker you know be careful about who the tasker is and all that but my question to you and i guess everyone really is can you as a viewer use your intent to help you protect you i mean i understand the research up front part but you're the remote viewer. You've got some power here, right? With your intention. Cannot you use your intention to help you? Sure. Why not? I mean, are you going to do 
a, you know, a full research project on every potential client before you even get paid to do something for a research client though. Exactly. You you could certainly, but uh, to me, that's a whole ton of work that I don't want to do. So I take the hardline approach that I don't do tasks blind for people. I, I require all the information first up front about what the project is. And I've been doing that for many, many years. And so, I mean, this is a whole nother thing where topic where, you know, some people think that you can't remote view while knowing what the task is. And I, uh, I've trained over years to actually be able to do that. And I've gotten highly actionable, feedbackable data from doing that. So that's just my approach. If, and when I ever do client work like that, uh, I'm not even saying other people should do it that way, but that's how I draw a bright line where I never have to actually worry about this of like a nefarious person coming in and then say, Oh, I'm going to, get Brett to do something for me that I can use against somebody else. Like that can't possibly happen because I'm never running sessions that way ever. And that, that makes it so I can't participate in some things too, because if, you know, there's a researcher who comes along like, you know, and says, Hey, will you do this? You can't know what it is. I'm going to immediately say no. So, but it's why I think it's a personal responsibility thing. And you could use the work to remote view it, but then you also don't have feedback on whether or not you're right or not. Like, how do you know? You say you do a session on a client. Oh, this is a person I should work with or shouldn't work with. Where's your feedback until it, you know, the, 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 the event happens, you know what I mean? And then it's, oh, well, man, I was wrong this time, unfortunately. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's no, there's no actual feedback in real time. So it's actually not even, it's, it's somewhat useful maybe, but I just, I, it's easier to take a hardline approach personally. So that's what I do. Thanks, sorry, Brett. I'm I'm similar, really. I I turn down probably ninety five percent of the work that gets offered to me. Uh, some of it, some of it, because it's mundane, like find my keys, find my cat, who am I going to marry, that kind of stuff. But the, and the majority of it is, you know, especially when the emails I see that come in are from, you know, from locations in the world that I would deem to be dubious as well. I I tend to look yep. at locations and things like that and requests and think i don't know you i don't know what you want or anything even though you're offering loads of money it's just no it's just it's just something i don't do as a, as a person so i always build up a, a, an element of trust with all the taskers i work with first just to make sure they're reliable but so, you know following on from what brett said um i know the case he was talking about with the political intrigue one as well um and the, the one that I talked about, the person that I know that's doing stuff right now, there are people that I would have, under normal circumstances, probably expected to be excellent taskers and project managers, and I would probably have worked with. Um, so, you know, not everything is always as it seems with, with the people you know as well. All right. So here's the, here's the thing right? There's ARV, binary ARV, where you have uh, one picture is one thing and another picture is another thing, right? Um, You go into that as a remote viewer, knowing that it's going to be one outcome or the other. You've intended in your mind that it's going to be one or the other. Why can't you, in your mind, intend that if this target is against your morals, you're going to remote view the inside of a cardboard box. Otherwise, you get the actual target. Why can't you do that? I bet you could. You just would have to practice it for a long period of time with practice taskings of like 
set up a tasking that you would have a problem viewing for yourself or work someone who will work with you as a task manager to where that you actually are tasked a bunch of things and with that are against your morals, whatever those, those frame what those are, and then run a hundred sessions. And this is the thing that Daz was talking about. And like, well, what was Ingo doing? It's like, he just, just, he'd do thousands of iterations until he figured something working. And, and to be honest, that's very similar to what I've done with ARV. I've run thousands of ARV with very different, making minor adjustments, seeing what happens over 50 sessions, making another minor adjustment, see what happens after 50 sessions. You're kind of in exploratory mode when you're doing these kind of things. And could you hypothetically do that? I bet you probably could, to be honest. You just yeah, have to train just, yourself it, to do it, that. Like that. And But that's the question what, is on, is that That's what our it? ARV is actually, right? Is is it worth the 500 to 1,000 hours to train yourself to do that? That's the real question because that's probably what it's going to take to get that. I'm not saying it's not possible to do. It probably is. But it's like how much time and energy is actually worth it when you could more simply just only work with people you personally know and never take a blind task. Again, not telling you what to do. I'm just telling that's my cost-benefit analysis of the situation. And why no, I get choice. that. I get that. I'm just thinking sort of like, you know, out of the box here that maybe there is a trainable technique to help you as a remote viewer defend yourself from these people uh, because let's be honest, you, you, it, no matter how much upfront research you do, someone can play some sort of head game on you at some point. So, you know, give yourself some here, you know, it's like you have some um, capability, you're using your intention to do stuff, why not use it? That's my point. Sure. I think that would be a good track for some people. Personally, myself, I, I I couldn't do I couldn't do the amount of work to train myself to be good at it. Well, with that same group of uh, nefarious people, there's one person who is very vocal that they had a bad feeling, a, a bad psychic feeling, bad impressions about that group from the beginning, and that they warned everybody. There are intuitive ways maybe to get a reaction about whether you should or shouldn't be involved um, with a task that might not be as convoluted as ARV, because unfortunately there's a lot of displacement issues in ARV for many people. I love ARV, but most people struggle to do better than 55% uh, average over hundreds of trials. Brett seems to be doing fair deal better than that, and he, he's really trained for that. So I, I think that a more direct method that would allow you to feel something and trust your instincts uh, may play, pay off better. I think David has an approach for screening targets that he uses um, if he is, if he does decide to use a, a, a community target or something like that, that he will, um, and I think he's posted that on Reddit before, but it, it gets into more of a woo-woo area, nothing that was studied in the remote viewing literature. So you're kind of stepping outside of remote viewing literature when you attack that issue of should I, or should I not do a target? But I had a question of what is it about the remote viewing community that draws nefarious and ambitious people? Why can't we get a huge cash injection from people with, you know, goodwill who really want to elevate and see the psychic renaissance happen? You know, why do, are, is it only people who have no reputation to lose who are willing to, to, um, to do so like kind of publicly and actually use their real names and talk to people? That's, you see me as a purple face, maybe. I have a reputation to lose um, in my work life, my professional life. 
I could not merge it with remote viewing at this phase because of how remote viewing is seen by the public. Um, I believe that it would cause a real problem for my family for that interest to become publicly associated um, with my professional career and image. Um, and so here I am, I'm purple and faceless right now. So that's kind of one question. And the other thing is, who's to say the remote viewing hasn't always been done for nefarious purposes? As far as not knowing who your tasker is, remote viewing incubated in the federal government of the United States, uh, with whom I, I work, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not in part of the military industrial complex, but you, uh, the tasks came down from up high. The remote viewers quite often didn't have all the information. They didn't always know what purposes their stuff was being used for. Uh, I, you know, there could have been, it informed the CIA, it could have been used to help guide assassination. You're hoping that this is all being done for a good purpose, but um, everybody is kind of the hero of their own story and maybe a villain of somebody else's. So nefarious purpose is, is relative. And, and I think that that potential that remote viewing is used for harm uh, was there right from the beginning. Green, can I respond to a couple of those points? The first one. The, uh, the thing I, I I'm familiar. I saw the, the email chain of the one person who's doing the round of, I told you so's right now. And I, I think that that falls to me a little flat, uh, because, you know, unless you have a really well-known track record, you can point to saying, here's all the times where I've actually done this successfully. Any random one person that just says, I have a bad feeling. If you, if you live your life based on other people's bad feelings, you're probably going to not do too well for yourself. It doesn't seem like a very optimal way to go about uh, making you decisions in your life. Now, maybe if you felt that you should look into it further with your own techniques, which you trust because you have your own personal feedback for, then certainly that would be something you could act on. But just because someone sends an email out, I, you know, I have a bad feeling, and then there's some information later that proves them right and they get to go around and say, I told you so, I really don't see the real value or use of that at all anywhere other than they get to feel good about themselves and be a little smug. But um, I think that it's much more practical if there's a history of someone you trust that you ask that you can believe their data, not just a random person in an email thread. That was, that was the one. The second one is why aren't maybe more wealthy individuals coming into the remote viewing field well, I, I think one, I mean, I can't, the thing is, is that, I mean, I'm, there are many projects behind the scenes that I'm personally working on that I can't talk about. One of them is coming out much more publicly next month, which has to do with a, a free tool for the remote viewing community to be using. Uh, it's probably going to be an invite, you know, a beta kind of an invite thing for people who want to help beta bug test it and stuff like that but it's for serious remote viewers. It's a pro tool that want to work with AI, artificial intelligence uh, coders and developers to see if we can get AI to help better analyze remote viewing work in both ARV and just standard RV practice sessions. And so that's something, and that's uh, something that's coming out very soon. So there are, I think, people out there that are doing things that are, um, not just self-interested necessarily that are more for like, they're interested in seeing where this community can go. I just don't think that they're interested in being public. And, you know, there's probably more out there too that all like that I'm not even working with, I'm sure. So it's just not there yet where they're ready to put maybe their face on it is maybe how I might respond to it. But I, I know of at least one 
because this is a project I've been working on this project for a very long time um, and where it's kind of up that alley. So hopefully maybe more in the future, maybe when the field's more developed. Um, well, that, that's very optimistic. So. I, I love hearing about the stuff that you're building out. It, for, for those of you who don't know, I mean, it's amazing stuff. Um, Brett's putting a, um, I haven't seen everything he's doing, but he's putting a, a layer of, of quality and sheen on the stuff that he's producing that, that is tends to be lacking when you see remote viewing software applications and stuff. It's usually like the minimum viable product because it was coded by some ex-military guy who used to work on like Fortran or something. So, but Brett, it, ha it comes from a design background and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing his finished products. But um, what could we be doing? What could a remote viewing be doing as a community to to clean up the image such that people would be willing to engage with us more publicly. I mean, we, ha we certainly have groups that focus on the most extreme woo-woo type things and, and that might make us untouchable for um, many people because they don't want to be associated with like alien, yep. reptiles, yep. stole my bride type thing. Um, is that, do you think that's the barrier is is the, the really strange side of things, the tabloid type stuff or is there more to it? I don't know. Daz probably has an opinion on this, my, but my personal opinion, this is why I'm so focused on the market and precognition is I see uh, practical application. And I think practical application that's repeatable, provable, showing this works. Here's the evidence. Here's the long-term study. Here's the analytics. We even, here's the AI results as far as the long-term trend that improves it even over time. Like that, that's why I've spent so much time over the past couple of years focused on that. Cause I see that as being an attractor for more eyes and potentially more funding uh, just for viewers. So more viewers out there can make money doing this. Like that's a big part of what I'm really interested in helping to cultivate with phone apps and pro tools online that are all, I mean, they're still an alpha, but is I like, I've been able to do pretty well using RV in the market. And that's how it's, I make the majority of my money doing that. I would love if other viewers could do that too, because then it, it's a really, really clear, if they want, obviously, that's a really clear kind of progression path that someone could choose to undertake to get better at track results, you know, have a public record of their sessions and then take, you know, uh, sell signals if they want to, or take their own signals and, and, and get into the market. And it's a way that you can make that a career if you wanted to. It's kind of, it's what I've done for myself. And so um, that's what I'm trying to cultivate is a scenario, something like that. It's where other viewers, should they choose that? A lot of people hate our ARV and that's fine. Like they don't have to do it, but I know a lot really love it. Um, and I think uh, it could be a lot better and bigger. And then who knows what kind of comes out of that, but it's a practical application, just like what Daz is doing you know, with crypto viewing. It's practical application. That's useful information that people would like to know about. I mean, he does like some interesting topics too, which are great too, but- I don't know, Daz, what are your, what's your thought on that? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And uh, our approach, you know, with crypto viewing is a bit more like um, infotainment, really. So it's half entertainment, half information, uh, because we have a broad swathe of people that like what we do. But it's a similar approach in that when it's not, a, you know, it's not funded in a big way by a multimillionaire, but it's funded by a rather large growing community that over a period of, three to nearly going on four years now uh if i if i added up all the information that they'd invested in this as a community that likes what we do in as remote viewers uh, we are approaching 
quite a serious amount of money, I would say, that over over that four year period. So there, I think there is money out there, and there are some projects that people have had before. I think uh, didn't Robert Bigelow for several years uh, fund um, Angela Thompson Smith for yep a few remote viewing projects. You know, I, I think there's money out there, um, and I spent a lot of time in my past uh, when I was developing apps for for the internet back in uh, 2000, 2001. Uh, I spent a lot of time with venture capitalists and seed funders and even raised a million pounds worth of funding in a day when, one day doing that. They would be interested in what we were doing uh, because we do, you know, like what Brett's doing. Uh, he, you know, he's doing really well with the ARV and he seems like he has a, a product that is at a stage where it's, where it's showable and saleable now. I think we could do it as an RV community. It's just that because a lot of us are doing this part-time and on an amateur, you know, we have to be honest, we are doing it on an amateur basis. Uh, we would need to tidy ourselves up and our data up and our products up like Brett's doing to go out to the people with the high net worth to uh, invest more money, to be honest. But it's doable. It's, it's, yeah, it's doable. There are people doing it. One of the ideas that I had a long time ago, I just didn't go that route, is if you, I mean, obviously remote viewing skill is paramount, but if you have a track record of accuracy and maintained and training and all the, you know, that all the good stuff. And you can show that, you know, you're not only good at photo tasks, but also projects is I, I always thought that there would probably be, and, and I investigated this and there was some interest. It's just some personal life things got in the way to really follow it further, but is that big tech, big tech companies are very open. A lot of the individuals themselves are very open to this kind of stuff as far as psi precognition, I mean, I was, uh, I was living right next to Silicon Valley in 2017, and uh, my business partner at that time, what we were interested in was trying creating a remote viewing kind of boutique information unit for CEOs in the tech industry. And so we were going to conferences, and we were going to crypto conferences, we were going to uh, mindfulness technology conferences uh, all over Silicon Valley to network and talk to these individuals, like, what do you... What would you need? Is this something you're interested in? Here's some examples of what, what remote viewing uh, can do. And so, and there was actually more interest than you might imagine. I think it's just that most of these individuals don't even realize this is a thing. They don't even know about it. And I think it's actually more of a, a PR problem than it is a, you know, uh, this doesn't work problem. And so if you as a viewer got good and then you wanted to investigate that field, what I would do, and this is what my original plan was, would be to do kind of a bunch of pro bono type session work for large organizations that was like, hey, what's the next, what's the biggest problem you have internally right now? You know what I mean? And, and do session work on that and how to solve it and send it to a whole bunch of VPs and, you know, and do that for Microsoft, do that for, you know, maybe not the largest companies that have like, they need to make sure they're above board everything, but maybe some of the more entrepreneurial uh, companies and CEOs, uh, the venture, you know, maybe some venture capitalist firms, stuff like that, and prove to them without them coming to you first that how would you, how would you know this? Like, wait, what? And here's the solution. You might, you might catch some fish um, doing that because there was interest in Silicon Valley for that when in 2017, when I was investigating that avenue of using RV, I just, I had to stop just because of some, some real life issues that came up at the time. And 
when I came back to it, I decided I was just going to focus purely on ARV. Uh, it seemed more straight to the approach of what I was trying to do, which was build a business and make money with RV. So just a thought. Anyone else have anything they want to add on this one? Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for all the... Oh, go for it, Sasha. Well, so I'm surprised to hear myself say this, but uh, I'm going to put this forward just for discussion. Um, but this idea that secularization is definitively better because it brings about this kind of democratization of everything, including things like remote viewing. It also means that everything becomes amoral. And when you have something that's amoral and you just give it to the peoples, the masses, then immoral people will use it for immoral aims and moral people will use it for moral aims. And so I'm not sure that something that as powerful maybe as remote viewing, I'm not sure that, that that's something that we necessarily want to have secularized and put out there in an amoral context for anyone to use however they want. And so maybe, and I know this sounds, in, in this day and age, this sounds kind of crazy, but I'm just gonna go there. <laughs> um, I can't help but wonder if maybe adding, attaching some kind of uh, a creed, uh, a very basic sense of morality or um, sacredness or some kind of context that, that gives it back uh, some, some ethical, I don't want to say rule book, but at least some a sense of ethics. Um, and you could do that by creating something more like a guild or a secret society, an exclusive club of remote viewers. I think that's the kind of thing that lends the kind of prestige that attracts the people that maybe are higher worth individuals or the people that are maybe more uh, invested in taking it seriously. We know that a lot of people who maybe have more talent or maybe are more interested in this kind of stuff often maybe have more early life traumas, right? There's that correlation between early life trauma and, and just natural latent ability inside. Well, those are things that come with sometimes good things. Maybe those people are more sensitive, more compassionate, more hyper aware of harm to other people and more concerned about that. But sometimes it comes with bitterness or feeling owed some kind of a revenge on the world for the harms that were done to them, right? And so I think you have both kinds of people that are attracted to, um, to remote viewing, to esoterica, to these kinds of topics. So I, I'm not saying I think it's a good idea, but I'm just saying I wonder if it would be a good idea to, to put remote viewing back into a context of this is a guild and there's an honor system a little bit more than it's already been done. Because I know we talked about that. And I know some remote viewers try to kind of, um, uh, what, what do they do? They kind of verify who they're going to train or not. They kind of get, try to get a sense of the person. And, and I think we're aware of that and that's great. But now that training on remote viewing is more accessible, you can get it for free online. There are different places where you can access that training um, without the vetting system in place. I, I just wonder if that might not be a good way of doing that because that worked for centuries, for millennia maybe that worked. 
when people had knowledge that maybe would give them undue power in society, in order to keep the baddies out, the charlatans out, the, the people that would use it for bad purposes out, they did create secret societies and guilds and, and exclusive clubs. Um, and I think it's not about creating a, a club that, that, that excludes people. It's more about creating uh, this sense of responsibility that now you're part of this group and that membership comes with responsibilities and duties, right? And part of that is you, you know, you have to abide by a certain ethos. I don't know. I'm interested in, in hearing what other people think. Is that too simplistic and childish or is that actually something that makes sense? Because we've seen that secularization doesn't actually work exceptionally well for real humans in large groups with a lot of variability. Sasha, I'm going to take the other perspective on that real quick because I let's take a look at secret groups that have maintained power structures for centuries, if not millennia. You have many secret groups that are run by people. I'm not saying that they're good or bad necessarily, but Order of Skull and Bones, Freemasons, uh, Knights of Malta. I'm not certain that these groups have always been a force for good or that having secret and trusted practices always guides them to work you know, for um, the benefit of, of humanity and mankind either. I think secularization has problems, but at least it's out in the air rather than letting a few elite people um, create a nucleus of, of control and then possibly withhold things from people who just don't fit what they deem to be appropriate. Um, rather, the secularization of remote viewing allows for people to be their own judge. I don't think that had a secret society type of structure um, existed for remote viewing, and, and maybe one does, but it had one been there to sort of rein in remote viewing and keep it the way that they wanted it, then maybe something like the Discord and Reddit and Facebook communities that we have that are starting to feel more like, uh, you know, real communities wouldn't have come about because we, this would all be completely kept from us because for our own good and passed down well, by bloodline okay, and, and so I just, on, you know. I like, want to stop you there. I, I'm, I sure. use the word secret society, but just as a, I meant more like a guild, more like this is a group that you belong to. And with when you join that group, then there are certain responsibilities that you're taking on. Not so much that this is a secret group and only the secret people get the secret information. But I think we're, we're moving towards that anyway, because we're seeing, you know, like Brett is saying, Silicon Valley, we're seeing high net worth individuals that are the ones that are behind the scenes, maybe investing in tools so that they can use that to increase their their wealth, which increases their power in society. So if, if we're moving towards that anyway, um, then maybe it's not the worst thing to figure out a way to implement a system that does give people a sense of morality tied to this. I don't know. Sasha, isn't well, isn't this I, what Irva's meant to be doing now? Maybe isn't who? Irva, the International Remote Viewing Association. Yeah, but I think that I, I I think that they're not as relevant because they're not on the Discord. They're not really. They're not on YouTube, and and what they and their website is so out of date. And I I I don't see them as being. And that's their new website, Sasha. I'm sorry. Yeah, like I don't see them as having the authority, the social authority. 
but they should that's what they're there for and i think ideally they would i think if they if they were if they could be more revitalized then then yeah i think that they would be in a position to do that I mean, but i think most people i, I know who, who i talked about remote viewing or if you look on the reddit remote viewing people who know about remote viewing don't know about irva sadly yeah, yeah. Well, yeah you have you, know, you have a good point well, there i just think that Irva's doing it, it, it's probably because they don't have any money would be my guess, or they don't have a lot of funding at all. And maybe, I mean, I'm not running it obviously, but have actually having a nonprofit that has some kind of code of ethics and has some sort of like an agreed upon a standard, just like you have standards in other industries as a nonprofit, it's optional. It's not a, if you want to do remote viewing, you have to like do this. I think that that's a little bit heavy handed and can turn into what Grin was talking about where you have, individuals in control of the gate and they get to choose who kind of gets to come in for better or worse has nothing to do with you i think a gatekeeper approach is not necessarily that doesn't work necessarily always and because it depends who's in charge and if one bad actor gets in charge then suddenly you know all bets are off on how it's used or who runs it or what the future of it is so i do i do like the democratization of ideas, because also not only that, it's the idea of like open source and coding, where it's like, I, I'm a huge fan of open source coding, because what it does is allows people from all over the globe to look at code and say, how can we make this even better? And this is, as I think, imagine if we had minds from all over the globe, that were all really skilled remote viewers coming together in central locations, problem solving, and trying to improve, testing new ideas, coming up with new techniques to solve different types of questions. I think that to me is the future of remote viewing and that doesn't happen behind a gate. I think that ha has to happen in the open. And also if it happens in the open, perhaps that also allows the community to try and self-regulate itself too. You know, if someone's using it or some group's using it in a way that is definitely nefarious, they shouldn't be doing it then, you know, don't you, everyone knows. And then everyone is responsible for themselves on whether or not they want to engage those individuals or not. And, you know, everyone is, you know, it take, make it a personal responsibility thing. Again, this ties back into the previous topic of personal responsibility as the viewer. You could do, you could desert that same kind of a thing. I do think a nonprofit though, that was more active and engaged the problem is that's going to take money. And I don't think Irva has a ton of money or else they probably would be doing these things because they have best interest for the community. I, I, I think uh, it's just, you know, they need to hire someone maybe who can raise a million dollars, you know, and then they can pay someone that's a PR person. That's a social media person. That's a graphic design person that are all hip to the latest stuff, you know, make some TikToks. I don't know, you know, let's yeah. do something to engage new audiences but that's not what Irva's doing. Irva's conference is uh, they're speaking to themselves is what it feels like. They're speaking to everyone who's been a part of it for the past 30 years, which is going to, you know, uh, in another 10 years, many of these people aren't going to be around anymore. And so it's like, it doesn't seem like they're really trying to get, maybe Deborah, it seems is trying to do some stuff. Maybe mm -hmm. I still yeah. have to, the, 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 stuff to see you know i'm hopeful that she's successful uh, i've seen some of the her posts on facebook about saying hey looking for somebody but until i see some real results I, i'm not going to keep my hopes up because they've really been irrelevant i feel in the larger community for a long time so yeah yeah no i agree on that one and yeah. here just a couple of thoughts on what sasha was saying is that we have two opposite uh, sides here the, the first one is that 
you cannot, you know, stop something that is natural to, to most people from spreading out, right? Even if it is not in the best form possible, but it's like, you know, when education and literacy, uh, basic literacy, like writing and reading, started spreading out. At the beginning, it was, you know, little nucleus of people learning to do so. And now it's, you know, probably not 100%, but, you know, at least above 50% in, in most of the developed or mid-developed countries, right? And, and of course, people from their own willingness, like, like what Brett was saying, try to group together and make it better. And then a lot of groups form and people start doing stuff with that. Of course, communications right now are empowering that. And the other side of it is that, like what Ingo was saying, you know, it took me a while to understand what, uh, some of the comments in, in Ingo's, uh, you know, books or writings or even letters where he said that special care had to be taken into forming new neural connections to, to actually capture correctly the information. And that, you know, is practicing the, the correct way, investigating, developing. And, you know, you can learn to write in one day. Of course, you will not be able to write an essay or probably a William Shakespeare, uh, you know, uh, kind of of, of uh, work, but the same is with remote viewing. You, you may be doing something and maybe getting something. It's human nature. But if you really want to go ahead with the actual remote viewing and go beyond that, we need to make sure that, that the correct process is being taken. It may require resources, which alone we may not have, people may need to, to get together or diligence you know nowadays there's a lot of people i even read one article uh, and i was able to confirm it through, through some friends that uh, a few teenagers in the u.s were able to to create a, a fusion device that is something that 50 years ago was only possible with humongous uh, uh, quantities of money to to develop and right now they can do that in, in their garage right so, so things like that will keep happening as we together, humans, will keep building upon that. Like what Brett was saying, crowdsourcing is moving great parts of the world. And I, I'm seeing a lot of companies, you know, leveraging on that and then, you know, using their resources just to refine the, the product or help people. So just wanted to add that. I, I agree with Brett. Democratization probably will bring the best out of it, but it's our responsibility to make sure that the correct process is kept. Otherwise, it will regress, uh, as Singo was saying in some of his papers. But you know, the other side of that, because I'm thinking about Sasha's point a little bit more, could there be something like an honor society for remote viewing that had virtues and valor, uh, but not necessarily explicit control? Um, something like that is possible and it exists for other professions as well. And so not, not something that really um, has to set the status quo, but one that can put out a good example and that people could strive to. Uh, there might be room for something like that. I'm not of the level to join such a thing. I probably wouldn't want to join the club like that that would have me as a member, but I'm sure some of you have the necessary characteristics. Good idea. Sounds like a lot of hard work, though. So have we reached the end of the conclusion on, on that topic for now? Because Kiaru's had his hands up for a long yeah, time. I'd, I'd like to comment on it, and I don't know if I have like much new, but I think um, the main thing I would 
would say is from my personal experience, because from 2012, every year I've been trying to catch people or I meet people in public and we get talking and then we think, oh, I'll do a free thing for these guys. I'll spend a couple of days and show them what remote viewing is. So as the process has continued, I've seen so much about how you can teach a person and then who actually comes to six or 12 hours of a free workshop and then one year later is really doing anything. And if they've progressed or gotten um, you know, further. So I really only wanted to respond to Grin, but after I heard all the other things and I started taking notes and I have 20 things to say, and, and I, I'll try and make it real quick. But uh, for me, there's a question, psychic renaissance or financial boom in, in remote viewing? And of course, I respect and love all the remote viewers that I know here. I wish them the best, but I could really care less about money because I've so far in my life, I've seen it's so much easier if you're an artist or an inspired person to pay the bills working at some menial job and then you're free to do whatever you want with the art form. So that's just one little idea I got from Einstein. Um, so, so with or without secret societies or state or religious censorship, which I know happens, um, it, the money is only a means of exchange in society and the society is so huge. It's really easy for us to get trapped in the Facebook or the Reddit or the people I met. And, you know, Canada has 40 million people. Mexico has 110 million people. Supposedly, there's 7 billion on the planet. So there are loads of people that are enthusiastic about remote viewing. The trick is us being able to step out of our experience to find them by accident or other means. Um, then the other thing I wanted to say, which is pretty obvious, is that the practice means more than any analysis or any philosophy. And, and, and a person that can put a good session out and other people can look at it and read through it or, or trip through it. Like, of course, Daz, you've done, for me personally, amazing work at that. And that we can look at this guy doing the session or we could look at the session is it helps us to trip out a lot. And, and so, you know, get really enthusiastic. So for engaging new audience, I would say step outside of the politics, but I've, I'm quite familiar with political movements. And, but go straight into the re real society, the real people, the people buying bubble gum at the corner store, um, you know, the guy walking around the corner or whatever. Then, then the thing is, is if you can get a person enthusiastic enough to at least look in to peep and see, oh, is there anything to this? Or am I just fooling myself with craziness? Um, is what I do is I have like a package of three or four videos. Like I have Tom McNair's video. I have Aaron Donahue on In Search of a Long Time Ago but quick, easy, tastes good, and they can see what happens. They can see a person doing it and how, you know, the magical part of it uh, happens or the essence of it. Then is what you need to do is you need to get high quality teaching methods are essential to make them accessible. In other words, don't bring people into a workshop, have 15 people try and look at some object in the other room, and you don't know how to teach them to find that. Now, so these teaching methods are really accessible now. We, there's DVDs, there's all kinds of material that if you're serious and you try, you can learn how to teach people to, you know, at least recognize their own personal clairvoyance. So if you're looking for who are the good people or who are the bad apples, I'm trying to keep away from me. There's two things I already put in the chat that are really obvious. One, first thing you do when you meet them is throw philosophy at them, throw really positive philosophy, like a positive philosophical statement about morality or something like that. See how they react. Then the two, and this is what I do, and this is kind of like 
I think the criminal, I think the mafia does this too, and that you have to get a person to do a bad act so that you know they're in the group and they're going to do their thing. But go to a place where people are looking for a good act and suggest we have, you know, we have this potential to do a good act. Who's joining me? Let's do it and be extremely honest with the people and say, look, guys, this is remote viewing. I can't promise you anything, but here's how it works. Check out these videos and then try it. And then my personal experience is, and I've said this a million times before, but you can't, you can't uh, convince anyone that remote viewing is real, first of all. Second of all, the only way they're going to convince themselves is by them seeing the results. And really, you have to somehow get them enthusiastic and positive enough. So they're going to sit down and do 28 practice sessions. And, and because it's for sure... I haven't seen the, the worst dummy in the world. I haven't seen him not hit it once in 28 tries if he's doing it properly and double blind and whatnot. So, um, you know, give them good background history so they're enthusiastic to keep trying and have some sort of personal support. Have a pep talk or a person check in their sales sessions and helping them. And to finish off the comment for people that aren't familiar with this, um, Two months ago, I was on a Mexican page and I heard about this Mexican scientist, a sci scientist, and I thought, how could it be that thousands of people say they support this guy and they're all interested in him, but nobody's using, you know, sci to look for him? Because, of course, Joseph McMonagall, Pam Coronado, Paul Elder. I don't know your history fully, Daz, but I know that many of our high profile people have been asked to help out with cold cases and, and that sort of thing. So, when I raised the flag to say, who wants to go looking for this doctor with remote viewing? I had 400 people say me. And then now that's, it's reduced down to a group of 14 serious people. And we've been two months, five nights a week, one hour a night, and we're getting our stuff from wherever we can, like from Dr. Paul H. Smith's DVDs, from Daz Smith's introductory thing on the internet. I've got Brett Stewart's stuff on file, but we're basically, these people are working for free. I'm working for free. But one person turned into 14. And at the end of a year, I'm sure we're going to have at least three or four people come out that will be trying to spread the word. So that's just my little crazy personal experience, but analysis of it. In other words, I know you guys are very intelligent, uh, but the sociological planning in a political um, stance way, what I learned in left wing um, movements is that it's way easier to go into the general public then try and find people that are kind of close and kind of interested. So with that, thanks for your time. <laughs> thanks for sharing, Kia. Great stuff. And he's right. Um, there's a huge community out there of remote viewers. I think just on Facebook alone, it's like 10, 15,000 people between the you know, there's five or six big groups. Uh, there's plenty of opportunities for you all to set up little groups and, uh, do your own things, do some good stuff, do some research. So starting to see some groups coming out now. Henny's doing one. Don's done some projects. He's put out some videos lately. So we're starting to see a lot more out there. Um, but yeah, a lot more people could do a little, little bit more. Get out there and do it. Don't be shy. Uh, iPhone, we don't have your name, but you've had your hand up for a while if you want to say something. Is it me? Yeah, go for it. Sorry. Yeah, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know why my name's not on there. I'm Michael. I'm new. Um, I have kind of a beginner ideogram question. 
Um, so I've been attempting to do CRV. I haven't been formally trained yet. Um, but uh, Ed Dames has a video out there. I started with his, and I learned kind of the freeform ideogram immediately after you write down a coordinate. And anybody, if I if I need to be corrected, please please correct me. Um, but then you know I've I've learned um, uh, like the TDS method, Daz, that you have on your channel, and uh, I'm so happy those videos were there. Um, and I noticed that so the way that they think about ideograms is there's you know there's specific ones um, that you have to learn, um, and I kind of I really bought into the unconscious response. And just like as an example, um, you know I'm getting I can get it to focus. I'm getting ideograms that, I mean, are basically squiggles, but I'm starting to find patterns. I've even been retasked with mm -hmm. the same coordinates. And even, the, I mean, every little bit of the squiggle is identical, which just is kind of freaky. But so I guess my question is, should I keep pursuing the, uh, the kind of reflex ideograms um, or should I try to, to go towards the more um, conventional? And, that I, and honestly, I see the experts use or at least the, the more experienced uh, remote viewers use the um the kind of structured ideograms does that make does that question make sense should yeah, i continue yeah, with this or or should i try to eventually switch over to the specific ideograms there's lots of schools of thought on this um when i mentor people in remote viewing uh, i allow them to use whatever uh whatever style of ideograms feels best for them i don't try to force someone to go down a specific route so i would say the same to you what you know what feels more natural for you bearing in mind as well um that everyone that does ideograms they do change over time continuously um, i've already experienced that this this one just changed and well my structures just changed at first i was like oh wow everything's a biological but now i'm getting structures in different ways and like this one, this one's really cool. And this is kind of what formed the question. I'm like, man, this is really working. So, so I know if there's a wing at the back, so this is the, the back of a, um, man, it's so blurry. Um, but if there's like a wing at the back of, um, of my ideogram, I know now that that is some kind of a vehicle or a platform mm -hmm. moving or something like that. Yeah. Um, okay. So you are, okay. So just, so just keep on. Okay. Yeah, they are becoming less spontaneous then, and you are starting to see form within your own ideograms anyway. I mean, there are, as I said, there are two schools of thought. There's the these there there's the purest, allegedly Ingo CRV approach, which is every ideogram is completely uh, spontaneous. Well, all ideograms are spontaneous, but spontaneous right. in, in in its form. So there is no actual form. It's just like a squiggle. Um, okay, so that then, idea came from Ingo. I didn't know that. Okay. Well, yeah, I argue against that because ideograms essentially came from doodles. Ingo saw someone doodling on the side of the page and thought, "Hang on, that contains information," and then he did research on Google on on on, on doodles. And for me, you know, doodles are always basic representations of of gestalts and things in real life. So. Doodles for me always had structure. They never, they never were just, just ra completely random. Um, right. So I think they're wrong in their interpretation. Although that's an ongoing argument. Um, I mine have personal structure. You know, I know that if I do wavy lines, it's, it's water. And I'm a great believer in there. Are, there is enough evidence that shows that there is 
common shapes that are common throughout all languages and all civilizations on earth that just naturally present and you just can't stop them. Uh, so just see, I would say, just go with the flow. Don't force yourself to do anything you don't want to do. So if you, if you're happy with the spontaneous abstract ideograms you're getting, uh, just continue learning those bearing in mind as well that, you know, you said you're, you're new to this. Most of us really take a couple of years to learn ideograms properly but that's what i'm hearing so yeah i'll do the structured ones later on like in stage two or stage three if i don't feel like i'm getting enough information and then i'll probe the structured one and if if i get more you know and sometimes i do probably about half the time um but that's still so that's a conscious that's a conscious ideogram it's yeah. just a, a pattern it's at that point it's not i think you have to go with what feels best for you as a person we're all individuals we all need to take a different route on this you can't force someone to do something that's not against who they are as a person you know i'm i'm a graphic designer so everything for me in my entire life has been you know i spent i spent 30 years designing logos for corporate corporations and logos are essentially pictograms and ideograms so for me ideograms are a lot more pictorial and and you know, visual than they probably are for some other people out there. So that's the route I had to take on this. Um, so yeah, just go with the just go with the flow, but just bear in mind that they change shape, uh, and it's not really about always about what they look like. It's about the actual feeling you get personally as you're doing the ideogram, the feeling of it, the flow of it. That's the key thing, and then the visual afterwards. Always, always rem remind yourself and remain on the the feeling and the flow as the primary uh, data from it and the backup data is, is, is the, is the look of it. Cause sometimes I'll do an ideogram for a structure and that for me is like a, a square or an angular shape, but the flow of it won't tell me it's a structure. If the flow of it tells me it's actually something else. And I have to go with that intuitive feeling of the flow rather than the visual look of it. Right. Right. And yeah, I like the wing thing. I recognize that as a coincidence, not yeah. anything to visually pull from, you know? So. Yeah. I could add on to some of that Thank you. too, just from a, from a different perspective. Yeah, go for it. Um, I, I I completely agree with Daz in the sense that you probably it's like it's like asking the question: Do you want should I learn kung fu or should I learn taekwondo? It's like asking that, and it's like certainly you could get down in like really nitty gritty, almost semantic level. Well, here's why maybe you know one is slightly better because it's more flary, or here's another one because it's more spontaneous. You know, I think both work is the ultimate. And what the crazy part about it is because I I've done the spontaneous ideogram for more than a decade now, and that's the way I learned. That's the way I kept it. I never really was interested in changing my ideograms once I learned. Uh, the other CRV techniques based on the first method that I, 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 I was taught. And however, what happens, funny that you bring this top, man, it's just, it ha I re remote view every day, but it doesn't happen all the time. But the session I ran today, um, it was an ARV session. So it's a feedbackable photograph. And my ideogram, my ideograms, I'd say maybe like 25% of the time now resemble archetypically what's in one of the photographs when I'm doing an ARV session now, or just a, a basic photo. So for example, one of the photos was of shipping containers yeah, me too. on top of each other. And the other photo was of a dog. And my ideogram was a square. <laughs> it had like a little bit of a, like a squiggly starting. Cause it was just spontaneous. And then just my arm went right down left. And then that was the end of the ideogram. And then as I was doing the AB of the ideogram, decoding it, 
it was it's angular it's got like rivets on it and this is a block it, i just got the immediate sense that what i'm whatever i'm dealing with is a structure that is in the shape of some kind of cube and so and that is i'm not actually i have not done any of the training because I felt, why change something that works to get visual ideograms? They've always been spontaneous for me. I never really cared about what they looked like. Um, and yet after a decade of doing it, now it's just literally, it shows up by itself now. Like I've had ones where I've actually done a little silhouette of a rabbit in my ideogram in the photographs was, was, a, was a, a darn rabbit. And so it's spontaneous, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does peek through sometimes. My only cautionary thing on this is that, I mean, take this with a grain of salt. Some people probably wouldn't agree with me as much. This is just my own perspective. Uh, so it's just my two cents is that I personally feel for me that if I was doing every, if every ideogram from the start, when I was learning this, I knew what it was when, after I produced it, I feel like that'd be a steeper hill for me to climb, to let go of that kind of uh, it's almost like you're, how do you do the rest of the session now without that informing or biasing it if you didn't necessarily get it perfectly correct? And so this happens sometimes when I get a loop where usually loops in my ideogram is some sort of a life form, but sometimes I'll have an ideogram that has a loop where there is no life form. It's just the spontaneous squiggle of the actual ideogram. And so I have to remind myself that just because I have this thing and it has shown to be this in the past, that doesn't mean that I should drive the session on that because that's it has been that before. Still let the rest of the data be spontaneous. It's, it could be, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. If you have it correct and that's correctly driving it, then you know it could actually really serve you. But what if you have a misinterpretation of it because it wasn't quite exactly that you just thought it was and then you let that idea which actually would be an aol drive the rest of your session you didn't even know so it's this weird kind of like uh for me it was easier for personally to just not even worry about what the ideogram was let it be spontaneous because i know the data is going to come through correctly more often than not in stage two through four and, and beyond uh i'm not saying that the other ways don't work. That was just for me and my experience. So it's just another perspective, but take it with a grain of salt, obviously. Yeah, Brett, thank you. I've actually experienced 100% of that. So hearing that from somebody else would make me feel good. Thanks. Cool. Does that answer your question then? Yeah. You okay with that? Excellent. Okay, so let's go back to some of the questions that were asked because we've got no hands up at the moment. Uh, some more, well, actually... Let's we could go to Henny and get her to share her air modeling with us because she put an example of that on Facebook earlier, uh, a day or so ago, and we discussed it last week. And she came up with a particularly good example that she could share with us if she didn't mind. No, I'm I will have to talk slow. I was told that I'm speaking too fast. Uh, can you hear me now? Okay, uh, it's not my technique, I was. Okay, why, why I tried it, air modeling, uh, what I'm talking about. Probably anyone who has seen some of uh, Paul's live sessions have seen him doing so while he is doing his session, you can see his hands going all around in the air and then he just keeps writing, writing. And uh, I had a problem which I realized is a problem in my CRE. I'm trained up to stage 
stage or phase three now. And uh, in stage two, I get a lot of descriptors. But by the end of uh, by the end of stage two, when I'm entering stage three or phase three, whatever we want to call it, I always had a difficulty with getting like the target right. So I had bits and pieces that I collected uh, during stage two, and I had impressions most of the time, visual type impressions that I use like. I get visuals when I'm when I'm doing sessions, uh, and I have to train down myself to not rely mostly on my visual senses and try to uh, bring in more of the data from the kinesthetic, from the sound, the smell, so that I have less of an analytic overlay and more of a real target contact. But by because of this, because I was trying not to rely that much on my visuals. Uh, I was basically arriving to stage three, feeling blind. I felt like I had all these taste, smells, bits of the target, and when we have big targets like like the one I posted, like I can touch a statue, and okay, you get the statue, but that's not your target. Uh, you have many things going on at the uh, target site. So I was wondering how can I help myself. Uh, getting a clearer picture of the overall target. When I arrived from stage two to uh, stage three, blind. Like I, I don't have a bio experience. I cannot look around. I'm just there with all these sensories. And I remembered, and Don, we were talking about Don when he asked, uh, he asked me one time, I had a really nice sketch and he asked me, how did you do it? Did you uh, air model? I'm like, Oh, I just saw that one. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, air modeling, that can work. What, what is that air modeling? And I remember I read Sasha, I think it was Sasha who uh, brought up in one of her comments that what if we are not going anywhere when we are doing remote viewing, but we have some kind of energetic replica or a copy of the target site. I'm like, okay, I can work with that idea. Probably this is what Paul is doing as well. Like he recognizes that he probably can, uh, it's a special form of psychometry. Like instead of using your ideogram as the representation of the target, he somehow managed to use the air or instead of using the play, he's using the air. So I was like, okay, let's go into the session intentionally uh, saying that what if I can do a mini replica of the target site in front of me. And I did my stage one, I did my stage two, and when I arrived in stage three, I'm like, okay, let's try. So what 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 can I do? And I tried to feel around. And immediately the first thing I felt was this round shape, which which was actually it felt more like a ball, a spherical shape. But I wrote it down as round, and I I just moved my hand around what I understood as probably the location of the target site. As I move my hand around, I, I could just get clearer pictures. Like it's almost like from, from blank or from black, as you move your hand, you uncover the target or aspects of the target. So the next sensory I get was okay, I have a, uh, a right angle here and it feels really rough, it feels like a wall. So I could, my, my mind was putting together the picture as a composite. So I didn't have the uh, bits and pieces and fragments, but as I was uh, probing the air, 
my mind would assemble all the parts that I have seen in the previous session. I don't know, I probably can link the sessions in here somehow in the chat. And then I tried one yesterday, which was which was a bit weird because I, I thought that I would actually view the target, but the tasking was a farm in Dubai, this strange um, island. And on that one, I was not actually, like I got data that when I touched it, it really felt like a, a round ball of grass. It really felt soft and leafy and very round. So I could draw it as really round, leafy something and it was actually the island but it gave me the the shape correctly so i'm not sure how it works uh, probably there is a way a uh, subconscious fear can cool the data or it can distort the data or it can change the data so that i understand that if i start touching a 2d shape i probably won't get anything out of it so it decided okay let's give her a 3D structure that we can touch around and she can touch around and maybe she will figure out that we are looking at the palm tree. <laughs> do you have uh, have do you have yeah, the image available that you could share? Yeah I scanned the session. I send it uh, in here and you can uh, probably try and uh, screen share because I don't know how to screen share okay. Did you hear? Uh, so you, okay so you're gonna send it or something are you yeah okay i'm not sure how but I, I might be able to screen share your original post if i can find it oh that's good too let me see if i can find it here oh. um did you post it in the face in the facebook remote viewing group or was it on your personal uh, I am just sending it to you, okay? I found computer. Okay. Uh, it's in the chat now, right? Well, it's, yeah, I sent it to that. Okay, uh, bear with me, I'll just download it. Yeah, don't forget my Facebook. <laughs> Okay. Oh, Henny, it looks like you sent it to me, actually. I sent it to that, so I realized that. I yeah, I think oh, I'm on okay. it. Okay, so I can share a screen it. So you can see the screen, okay? Is it right to start here, or do you want me to start an earlier page? Yeah. Earlier page? I see it. Those are, yeah, this is where I go basically. How, how far back for the sessions would you like me to go? No, where you were, that's where my um, face three starts, basically. Down, 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 down. Yeah, this is where I started touching. So this is where first, when I go down the round and the central, I, it sounds like a ball or a balloon filled with water. It's really like very strong. And I think it grabbed my attention and then I, I got this. This was my my orientation point and i could just like and just to make it this. just to make it clear for the guys here uh you weren't using any clay or modeling material no. you were you were doing this all with your your yeah. hands mm -hmm. yeah so you can see that i actually tried like on the left side and then i changed 
checked on the opposite side, and this is where I realized that I have like rectangular structure. It felt more like a chapeze or a thromboid, but it actually came out pretty nice. And then I, as I was like checking around, I was like, okay, there is a protrusion here, which is long, very angled, and you can, yeah, and then there comes the calm. <laughs> That's not so neat. <laughs> and do you have the feedback image? Uh, so I've shown the feedback image for this. Mm, which one? The first or the second one? Uh, for the first one. Yeah, let's go for the first one. I have to go in Facebook. Oh. oh wow, this is a lean but I think it's gonna work if you open. Okay, so the link in the uh yeah, let me let me share this then for the guys. I can get both screens up at the same time. Um so that's the Facebook, that's the feedback image. And the air modeling again in session for this one was that there. So people can see how accurate you got. So that's how you started. But I think I was more on the the garden. <laughs> the <laughs> I think I think that's a great representation of the of the center of the target there. Of you know the the courtyard uh -huh. area with the circular bits. I think that the lines here were just maybe slightly slightly twisted on their orientation, but that clearly to me when I saw that reminded me of this uh you know the courtyard of the central structure there. I thought I was getting the the garden on like oh well, almost. Well, <laughs> As with most things, uh, RV-wise, maybe you're getting a little bit of both. We it's hard to determine uh, exactly. It looks more it looks more like the structural to me because uh, the lines here as well remind me of the you know the the strong lines here of the of, of the building. Um, but yeah, very good, very well done on that. Goes to show you know uh, there there's there's a good technique in that, and I should try it a bit more. I've got no excuse to say that I haven't got the clay or the play-doh available. <laughs> so yeah i'll try that myself yeah but so thanks for sharing that honey that's fantastic you're welcome thank you for the opportunity oh, okay so we haven't got any hands up at the moment so let's see what other questions we were asked bear with me a sec i've got to close some of these windows um Jamie Sexton asked, uh, could we have a discussion on ideas of how to take RV to the next level level, or to amplify the signal, so to speak, for better visuals or intentional by location? Um, <laughs> by location is an interesting thing. Um, I've been having a long chat with Tom McNear on this. I don't know how much he wants to say right now. Um, I can say a bit, I think. He's going to be publishing something soon, or we're, we're going to be publishing soon. <laughs> What's interesting is I've been having a conversation with Tom McNear because he he's basically tell, told me that, and he showed me examples that the entire CRV community 
has been using the term bilocation incorrectly for the last uh, 20 years. Uh, we've been thinking that bilocation is is a thing that happens when someone goes too much to the target and it's a wrong thing. But he's telling me that the actual Ingo correct way of doing it was that bilocation is encouraged and you want that to happen because then that's a perfect sense of you being in the room doing the target. And so you're 50% in the room writing it down and you're 50% in the zone of being in the target getting the data so you want to strive for a state of actual bilocation 50 50 in a perfect balance um so we, every, every time we do rv we should be striving to and wanting to attain bilocation um when it goes wrong is when you've got too much location and you're not in the room anymore writing it down you're too far into the target and that's not called bilocation that's that's going to be a new word that he's that we're kind of trying to come up with a whole new definition of this. So is it is it actually interesting that even a nuance like this, uh, you, you know, like we've had the ideogram debates uh, and arguments online, but even a, a simple thing like the term bilocation has actually been taught and been people have been doing wrong and referring to it wrong for the past twenty years as well. So. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting one on that. I just wanted to say that because you mentioned bilocation there. But how to amplify the signal or to get better visuals uh, or clearer perceptions. Has any of you guys got any ideas on that? I, I, I don't really know. Well, any. Penny just mentioned one, air modeling. Yeah, air modeling, yeah. Fantastic, yes. Uh, yes, so that's good. I'm going to be trying that one a lot more. I tried it once or twice, um, but I didn't do that too much myself. But now seeing Henny's a uh, great example of that, it's given me no excuse to try that one a bit more. So that's a good one. I've had some good luck with it recently. I've been remote viewing for about four years. I did not know anything about it. And then I don't know where I got the idea, but I started trying reaching out with my hands, trying to touch whatever. And I would instantly feel things like corners. And um, like I posted something on my Facebook where I got a pole in the front of something. My perception is not very high resolution. It's very low resolution. But I am getting details that I didn't have in my S2s. And it helps me pull stuff together and get ideas of what maybe my initial sketches ought to be. Um, it's a really worthwhile thing to try. I would highly recommend it. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Tom. Excellent. Okay, so that's all we have on that one. Yeah, yeah, everyone should try it. That, that's the homework for next week. <laughs> try hair modding. Okay, Catherine asked, um, this is, I think we may have covered this earlier, but she wanted to know about remote, remote influencing and ethics. And someone else asked about remote, view, uh, remote influencing as well. I'm just trying to see if I can find it here. Um, no, so that's it. I think we've gone over remote influencing and ethics, and we talked about it briefly earlier. Um, I, don't, I haven't tried remote, view, uh, remote influencing. It's a step too far for me, I think, at this stage, uh, unless I was involved in, a, as I said, in a project where the people would all sign documentation that they were of sound mind. They didn't have any mental conditions and they would uh, they would be up for us doing some kind of influencing on that. Uh, Don got his hand up. Do you want to say something, Don? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, my question is... Uh... 
I had my first experience with a physical manifestation from a remote target. And in the video that I made, I mentioned this. I, um, my target was the Tunguska event, which was a gigantic explosion that had happened in 1908. And I and several others in the remote viewing team experienced physical manifestations. This is the first time I've ever had some sort of negative reaction from remote viewing. First of all, I didn't even know it could happen. So I want to let everybody know that this can happen. And the second thing is, um, I guess I want to open this discussion up because, um, you know, maybe others have experienced other sorts of things. I had a heat flash. I felt like uh, all of a sudden I was getting sick, like I felt uh, uh, like I, my temperature was elevated and whatever. I actually thought I got COVID. But when um, I stopped the session, because it scared me, okay? It scared me, so I ended the session. 20 minutes later, I was back to normal. So whatever this is, this is new. I don't know how to deal with it. And um, does, do you have any like feedback on this? Have you ever experienced this? Um, I'm just trying to make sure that I answer this correctly. Have I? I have to say no. I it's mm. never it never happened to me. But I I have a different. I might have a different belief system. You know, I'm I'm very 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 straight laced. Very kind of straight CRV. It's on paper. It's not real. It's not happening. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just a reporter and I just report when I write end it's it's over. So no, I, I can't say I, I, I have in any way, maybe slightly when I've done some of the weird alien things, I've had some kind of feeling of connectedness with the life forms that I'm remote viewing. Never with a human, only with a, a only with a, a non, non-physical one, but nothing, other, no, nothing like what, what you've experienced. Okay. So the uh, same, I have right. the exact same experience as Daz is, but again, like I may, maybe this just reinforces Daz's point is, is that uh, I don't believe I'm going anywhere. And so, and maybe the intent of like the, I know a lot of viewers think that, oh, I need to go somewhere to get the information. And this idea, Daz mentioned this idea of like bilocation, I'm both there and here at the same time. I mean, I nowhere is that in my own personal model of what I'm doing at all. I feel like I'm doing a Google search and I'm just transcribing what's on the web page. That's it. I don't feel like if I, I mean I can type into Google search the Eiffel Tower, but that doesn't mean I'm at the Eiffel Tower. And that's the way I kind of view what I'm doing. Doesn't mean that's correct. Or I I know like I could be 100 wrong, and that I am part of me is going to the site, but it's the way it's my own personal model. And exactly like that's the only time I've ever had weird effects come back was because uh, of looking at like strange alien esoteric stuff. So never anything, never had any heat or whiplash or dizziness. I've heard, I've heard of this story before of things with like intense motion where someone experienced like dizziness because they were on like a spinning ride. And when they were, yeah, something like that. I have heard of that but I've never personally experienced it. And maybe it is a belief system. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. Okay. So 
all I know is I was just doing my session. I wasn't like thinking mm -hmm. I'm going anywhere or whatever. I didn't think about that. Um, so I don't know why why me or why other part members of the uh, RV team, but um, it was curious. It was uh, you know it was reported by the manager as something that he needed to retask to get past. So uh, just FYI, you know. It I have can a suggestion. Happen. I was, I've, I don't know if this will work, but if that happened to me, I could tell you what I would do is if I didn't want to experience that, I would just, before I pick up the pen, I would just speak to myself, set a very firm intention that I have no interest in physically experiencing anything that is outside of what I deem comfortable. I'm only interested in the data, period, 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 and really enforce that intention and see if that effects. I mean, intention is a very powerful thing. It's intention is part of tasking. At least that's what we think. So if viewer intention is, I'm only interested in, I mean, you can take another vantage point too, like only interested in experiencing or accessing data associated with this task that is for my highest good. You know, you can take that type of approach too. Uh, maybe that would be something that's helpful. I don't know. I've never tested it because I haven't never needed to, but just, just a thought. That's all. Okay, that's it for me. Um, I have something to add to that, if that's okay. Yeah, go for um, it. So I know I've only been remote viewing for a couple of months, but I've already dealt with what I've heard on other open discussions referred to as shadow people, and what I and it I don't I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not I'm not that exploratory. And, um, so, but what I have found, and from what I've read too about some of the uh, some of the Stargate project stuff when they because they did, I think, experiment a little bit with certain chemicals and how it affected remote viewers. Uh, dopa dopamine will just shut off the signal. So if you need a break, I mean, I will pull up a video game on my phone and it will take it away instantly. Anything that produces dopamine will just shut off. Like, because I mean, I'll have just, it's to describe the shadow people, I just feel silly describing it, but it's like a shadow moving in space. And, and they don't necessarily come to me in sessions, but they, they started coming to me at night if I do a lot of remote viewing in a single day. Um, but any activity that produces dopamine um, just totally makes it go away for me. Anyways. If it's any consolation, I too have seen shadow people. So you're definitely not crazy, <laughs> whether it be some psychological thing, dead people or something else. Uh, it's definitely something. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they feel harmless, but it is is just unreal to witness i don't like it yeah just uh getting back in my case i went from being normal to feeling like you know i had a temperature of 106 or something like that this is not something like but brett were you saying like you know if i thought something like that i would just make it go away i forget exactly what you said but the thing is i didn't know what it was in fact i thought i got covid so um just be aware that it can happen, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, you know, as, as I said, and we said before, we're all, we're all different. We're all individuals. We're all going to experience different ways of how we interact with this data and this signal line or whatever is happening. Thanks for sharing guys. Uh, Kiao, you've had your hand up for a while. No, just to respond quickly to Don, of course, there's aesthetic impact and sometimes people can get a really, really strong thing. And I heard Don, he said it was a lot worse than that. Uh, I took a little 
very brief thing with Pam Coronado. And she, of course, deals with real criminals and really, really nasty things sometimes because she's such a, a warrior for justice sort of idea. But she told us about a thing, uh, a psychic shower, where when you're done your session with whatever experience you might have had or felt or internal, whatever, it's, it's kind of like a process you do to clean yourself and get away from it. And of course, Mr. iPhone was mentioning he goes to his video games or whatever. But, you know, um, Don's also suggesting something's interesting that happens. You see more in, I hate the word, but in the shamanic word, uh, because of course in Mexico, it's quite familiar. I have a person that reported having scratch marks on her body after waking up from some strange experience. But again, you know, it could all be, what's the word where you imagine you're having a, a medical effect, but it's a placebo, whatever. Uh, the, the important thing is that there are ways, um, besides the intelligent thing that Brett suggested to prepare yourself before going in, after coming out from whatever surprise experience to clean yourself and get yourself through whatever you might've had in a conscious level experience. That uh, thank you for this. reminding me of that, Cal. We, I took that class. She did tell me, and that's one okay. of those things that just slipped on by. Good. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. Okay, so I think we're going to come to a close now, now because we've gone on for just over two hours. So I want to thank you all for your great participation. Now. You have some great questions, answers, and tips for us all. Uh, yeah, so thanks for sharing. Have a great week ahead, all of you. And we'll see what happens next week. Uh, actually, I might be away next week. I'll, I'll double check that. If I am, I'll see if I can get uh, one of you guys to host the show or something for change. <laughs> Sounds good, Des. Thank you very much. Yeah, take care, guys. Chat. Have and, a good week. Everybody have a good weekend. And thank, thanks again for sharing, everyone. Take thank care. Everybody. Take care. Bye-bye now. For, for yeah, Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Signal Line, a remote viewing podcast. Don't forget to check out remoteviewed.com for remote viewing resources or our videos on YouTube under Remote Viewed.